Hi, this is Matt Kempel, co-owner of Milwaukee's premier live comedy spot, The Laughing Tap, and founder of the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. It seems you guys really like that last set. Let's see if we can keep the applause going and get the guys and their guests to give us a part two to the interview. I think they're coming out. Here they are. Show them your love, people. It's season six of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch Podcast. This is Chris Byers, always with Jim Martin. Hey, Jim. Hey, Chris. Uh, this is the second part of our interview with Dwayne Barry. Hello, Dwayne. Hey, Hi, Dwayne. How are you doing? Yeah, Great. We're, right. we're taking on a little bit more of a heavier topic here. We're talking yep. about drug abuse and drug recovery or recovery from <laughs> drug abuse. Uh, getting back to how bad drug abuse can be, and since neither one of us took drugs, we talked about that in the first half, I thought I'd mention one thing. I went to a seminar. It was a nutritional seminar for my business. And the guy said that giving up carbs, refined carbs, yeah. you know, giving up sugars and donuts and ice cream and things like that, is about equivalent to giving up drugs. It right. Is. It and does. you might think really? you might think, well, you know, come on. And yeah. the guy said, No, it's the same pathways, same everything. Now it might not be as destructive, at least not initially, you might get diabetes down the road. But he said those same urges that you have you know, to go out and get that donut are the urges that you've got to go out and hit that, you know, hit hit the hit the pipe or whatever. Uh-huh. And I don't know about you, but, you know, 10 o'clock comes on, it's, you know, I don't have anything around the house. I will get up and I'll find a gas station a mile or two away that's got some donuts or something because I'm just craving that thing. Yeah. And I've told myself, go to bed. I've told myself <laughs> it's too late. I've yeah. told myself it's not healthy for you, but I still do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that's interesting because that's very interesting. You and I have both uh, talked about this like in the last couple of months about like yeah we want to lose a few pounds. We're not like incredibly overweight, but we want to lose 10, 15 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is that that bowl of ice cream at night, I I can't stop eating that. And it sounds like ridiculous. We're you know, talking about you know heroin and cocaine Life and stuff, and but death, like yeah. like I can't stop eating a bowl of ice cream. You know, but <laughs> but it is that thing where like or or what I really notice is after. A meal, right? Mm-hmm. I always crave something sweet, sweet you know. Yeah. So even just a little bit of chocolate, yeah. just a little something, you know. But that's the thing, and uh, you know, like you said, maybe it's not it's not as dangerous as uh, as uh, like cocaine or heroin type thing. But but yeah, I certainly I, I know what you're talking about. That yeah, feeling. but it, it yeah. gives you an idea that that cravings are something exactly. we all deal with, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. uh, in, in all our lives, even though it might not be drugs. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit, Dwayne, here about the scope of the problem. Um, I think in America we're up to what eighty thousand deaths, a hundred thousand deaths a year. What's going on? I got some statistics here. Sure. Um, here, and I was just looking at an update here. More than fifteen hundred people die every week as a as a result of some type of drug use. Every week. Every week. Wow. Fifteen hundred a week. You're including alcohol, perhaps, or basically cocaine and, and opiates. Okay. Um, especially when the pandemic hit, hmm. it went up 600%. Wow. Because people were staying home. You couldn't go and you couldn't bored. do like you, Doing, yep. you want to do. Um, and so, um, the increase is because now drugs are more accessible mm-hmm. than it was before. You know, you usually have to find somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody right. to get what you want. But now you go in any corner. 
there's a drug dealer standing around that's willing to sell you some drugs. Yeah. And so there's been a significant increase mm-hmm. uh, um, with uh, opiate and, and cocaine use over the last three years. What about, uh, as I think I mentioned earlier, over the Internet? Are people able to buy these things over the Internet? Now, opiates, yeah. You know, like Percocets, uh, mm. those kind of things. Uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Oxycontins right. and those kind of things. They can get off the Internet. Uh, I've never seen anybody do anything in terms of heroin or cocaine over the Internet. Not saying that it's not being done. Yeah. I'm just saying I've never seen it. Yeah. But, yeah, most people can go online now and get these things. Yeah. yeah. And how about, like, Milwaukee? Uh, do you know and uh, uh, the city? How many a year are dying of this? Do you have any ideas? Uh, Milwaukee statistics are, well, let's see, here for, let's just look at Milwaukee. Um, it says uh, Milwaukee County has the highest rate per 100,000 people that end up in the hospital. So we okay. have, we have the highest rate now. In the state or in the nation? And no, this is in Milwaukee County. Okay. Now, there's three in Wisconsin, there's been a 300% increase in drug overdose since 2000. So, Milwaukee um, is saying here 115 people will die from an overdose daily. Now, this is kind of screwed up statistics as far as I'm looking at. Sure. They're saying this and saying that, and I think they're mixing in state, city, and county, nation. Yeah. County, nation. And county, Days, and nation. Weeks. However, yeah. mm-hmm. um, in 2010, Milwaukee's overdose rate doubled. Okay. Okay. It doubled, okay. and it has not decreased since then. All right. It's steady going up. I think uh, there was kind of... Uh, two big accelerators when it came to the drug crisis, right? There was the development of these opioids, OxyContin, maybe right, the most right, prevalent one, right. where, well, I'm in a business that's involved with healthcare, and I remember this from the mm-hmm. 90s or late 90s, whatever it was, early 2000s, where all of a sudden they start saying, let's add pain as the fifth health signal, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this push, even in my business. What's the, to, what's the other four? Yeah. But it was like blood pressure, oh, okay. you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they said, now pain. You know, and exactly. And so they, they told people, track people's pain, track people's pain. And there's this big push to turn pain into the fifth vital signal, right? Mm-hmm. That you're going to constantly ask patients about. And a lot of this came about because the drug industry said, hey, we've got an answer for this. We've got, we've got drugs that are non-addictive that are going to help people with pain get back to their normal lives. Well, of course, it was a lie or it was of a miscalculation <laughs> or whatever, and these things turned out to be yeah. uh, addictive. So there was the opioid mm-hmm. uh, acceleration. and Like I said, I'll say three accelerations. Mm-hmm. Then, when, then fentanyl mm-hmm. became an issue, an even stronger one. Mm-hmm. And then the next accelerant is once these people can't get their prescriptions anymore because they've doctor shopped themselves out of these. Then they switched to heroin, and there's been a huge increase in heroin, where people thought heroin was the you know the last thing that a junkie would do. Now housewives are doing this type That's of stuff. Right. You'd be surprised who was doing it. And again, it goes to, well, the doctor won't prescribe me anymore, and I don't know how to deal with this pain naturally. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to where I know it's going to help me. Mm-hmm. Whether it's killing me or not, it gets rid of this pain. 
Right. Okay. And people are just, uh, it's, it's, you know, when we take a look back, I found that a lot of doctors over-prescribe. Uh, a lot of them over-prescribe because they get a kickback from the pharmaceuticals. And so all of those things play a role in people becoming uh, addicted, not on purpose, but because they're dealing with pain. And nobody's teaching. I'm not going to say nobody's teaching, but there should be more teaching about how to deal with pain naturally, mm-hmm. you know, with non-addictive type things. For example? Oh, for example, um, meditation. hmm mm-hmm. Meditation therapies, aromatherapy, or there's herbs that you can take. You can buy at the health store. You know, those kind of things that you can get. I'm sure if you just Google, you can find everything online nowadays and say, what are some natural things I could take for pain? Mm-hmm. It'll give you a list of it. And, and or, or, and I don't want to trivialize this, but coming up with activities that distract you, right? Exactly. Because I've, maybe you guys can do this, but I can't think of two things at the same time. Yeah. I can't uh, do nope. it. Right. So nope. if you give me something. I have a tough that, time with one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have trouble with one too. And so if you give me things to do, and, and, and getting back to talking about treatment itself, 75% of the people that seek treatment don't get treatment. Oh. Why? Because there's not enough treatment beds. A lot of people need wow. inpatient treatment. There are mm-hmm. some people that be, might be at a point where they can go to outpatient treatment twice a week. But when you got that hardcore addict, they need inpatient treatment because, one, they have to detox first. Mm-hmm. That's three to seven days by itself. Mm-hmm. And then you need to be put into an environment that's going to help you stay sober. Right. But because there's not many treatment facilities or beds, 75% of the people that want treatment wow. can't get it. When an addict says, I'm ready to go to treatment, you got to get them right then. Yeah. Yep. If you say, well, I'm sorry, no beds, we'll put you on a waiting list and we'll yeah. call you. Tomorrow, you can just forget about it. forget it. Yep. Yeah. You yep. can forget it at that point. And so education, education is, is the most powerful thing you can do in terms of dealing with substance use issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it needs to start in elementary. You got kids coming to school where their friend gave them some candy, and the candy's now Skittles are being laced with fentanyl. Jeez. Lollipops, suckers yeah. are being laced with fentanyl. And so this kid says, oh, my friend gave me this candy. I want some. So we got to teach our candy. Our children, that even if your best friend offers you some candy, don't take it because yeah. you don't know where that came from. And yeah. they might not know. And they may right. not know right. where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Right. Marijuana now is being laced with fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Marijuana is being laced with embalming fluid. So there's a thing called the green lizard where you take about that much water in, in, in a glass and you do just the tip of a teaspoon of Drano and you drink it. So people are always searching for new ways to get it. Wow. You know, so there's so many roads to addiction, like I said yeah. earlier. But we have to educate our children from elementary, as soon as they can understand, we have to start at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, as yeah. Jim mentioned, you know, we grew up at a time where... They said, watch out, drugs are going to kill you. But it was one of those things where it's going to kill you eventually. Eventually. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, right. I've heard stories, we've all heard stories, of the girl in the dorm room that thought she was taking one Adderall to stay up for, for an exam, and it turned out to be fentanyl, and she died, right? This type of thing does happen. Again, 
I believe nationwide deaths are 80, 90, 100,000 a year, or at least uh, certainly above 50 at this point. No, you were right. Yeah, and they're, and they're so much so that uh, the, uh, the average age that Americans reach now before death has been lowering for the first time in decades, That's right. largely because of uh, the fentanyl crisis, largely, again, because it's killing people more in their prime and so all those expected years from 40 to 80 that they were going to have, that, that causes these numbers to, to, to drop. Yep. And it's not just the young population that I'm finding. It's mm-hmm. kids, it's teenagers, it's elderly mm-hmm. that are strung out. Again, most elderly is because of prescription right. uh, drugs. But this thing is affecting everyone because I know when I came up, TV taught me if you have a pain, take a pill. Mm-hmm. If your pinky sure. toe hurts, take a pill. Yep. If you got a headache, take a pill. So we come up in this take a pill society, yeah. and we think that anytime something hurts, that's the only alternative I have mm-hmm. is to get a drug. Yeah. And we have to teach that that's not the only alternative. And you know what? Uh, again, yeah. I don't mention this much in our podcast. I've only done it a handful of times over the years. But I'm a chiropractor, mm. and you said society teaches you. Well, my dad was a chiropractor. Our family taught you don't take a pill, right? We mm-hmm. didn't. I yeah. didn't take medication almost ever. I remember the first time I took an aspirin. I was like 21, 22. Yeah. Uh, I had a, an injury and somebody said, take a pill. And I was like, what? I'm not going to yeah. take a pill. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, it was the opposite. Like, okay. never okay. take a pill, right? Okay. And so, um, so like you said, the environment that you grow up in, whether it be pop culture or your family, has a great deal of influence to do with it. Uh, the... Um, a couple things. Um, uh, you talk about uh, how more tolerance for drugs as time goes on. One thing, I'm, I'm stepping back a little bit here, is the body's got its own natural opioids, got its own natural painkillers. And if you take painkillers exogenously from the outside, your body says, I'm, 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 uh, I'm personifying your body, your body says, okay, good. You're taking care of this. Yeah. We don't need to do it anymore. Exactly. Right? And so the body starts shutting down its own painkiller resources. And so the more and more of these things you take, the more and more your body is not able to fend off pain. Exactly. And so once you take away that exogenous source, you know, the pill you've been taking, your body hasn't fired up the factories in a while. And so every little pain is going to hurt like it's the worst pain you had. And so those people, that's where you get these withdrawals and things like that. The exactly. pains are much more s- severe because their body has stopped helping them. Exactly. You know, and that's, that's one big thing. Hmm. And then the other thing I was going to say is uh, opioids, unlike, say, alcohol, rewire the brain in such a way that makes it much more difficult to kick these, these drugs. And I've heard it said that kicking alcohol is twice as easy, three times as easy as kicking these, these opioids. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's, it's, it's much worse. Um, and again, I can't say it, say it enough. This, this fentanyl and all these things that we have on the street now in terms of opiate is the worst thing that's ever happened to society. Hmm. Um, I was just saying, they can be saying, can you take a hit once and get hooked? I don't, think you can just take one hit and get hooked but i think you take that first hit and you like it yeah and then you yeah. try to chase it and before you know it that you're, you're hooked but again um 
if we don't begin to educate, because you got you know, listen to the songs nowadays. They encourage getting high. You know, you mm-hmm. look at television. You know, and that's what kids are doing. You're looking at these games that kids are playing. There's cops and robbers and shooting and all of this kind of stuff. And some games called the drug dealer game and stuff like that is is planting that seed. And and here's another thing that I think a lot of people don't realize. When I was coming up, if my dad or someone, my older brother, went into the liquor store, we went to the liquor store and it was liquor. Now you go in the liquor store, there's candy potato chips, mm-hmm. soda. Right. Why? It starts teaching young people, this is where you can come. Right. Mm-hmm. Get the stuff you like. Get the stuff you like. Mm-hmm. And we don't see it. We, 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 and those are the kind of things we have to take a look at. Yeah. You know? And so, again, um, I can't say this enough. Education, intervention, and prevention is the most powerful thing that we can do. We have to be able to teach our children. We have to beat it in their heads um, that this is not the way to go. And again, especially for younger kids, the peer pressure is much harder at that age because now there's. I went to middle school and the kids are saying to the girls, if you're not pregnant by uh, 14 or 13 or 14 years old, you're not cool. So young girls are running around trying to get pregnant. You know, wow. or you're not cool unless you you're doing weed or marijuana or taking, and so you're trying to fit in. You got all these students around you all day, just putting it in your face and putting it in your face. And I, I'm like this: if I don't want to eat donuts, I shouldn't go sit in a donut shop, yeah. right? Right. Because eventually I'm going to eat that donut. But if I keep being around this circle of people that's still putting this in my face, and just for one second I don't think, yep. For one second, you want to fit in. I want to fit yep. in. Yeah. Yep. So uh, there's there's like three or four different things that I have questions about, um, and I'll 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 save three things and okay. we can decide which one we want to talk about because I think all three of them we can talk about. <laughs> okay. um, number one is um, is this a responsibility of the government? to step in and start really hammering down on this. So a, a friend of mine, well, a guy I graduated from high school with, I'm Facebook friends with him, his son passed away through fentanyl overdose in the, mm-hmm. within the last year. Mm-hmm. And so all of his posts now are, you know, of course, uh, related to this. we got to stop this. We gotta, and he is pointing to the government, and he wants the government to do something about it. Now, is that is that a, a thing? That's, that's number one. Number two, this idea that legalizing marijuana is that potentially a gateway opportunity into other things? That's another question. The third question is, um, when you have somebody in your life and you feel like they're going down the wrong path, and like we mentioned in the, early on in the first half, that your decision to, to come out of this was your decision. That was an in, intrinsic motivation, I would call it, versus en, ex, en, intrinsic? extrinsic, extrinsic, right? Outside of you versus inside of you. You said, if somebody's telling you, if you're doing it for somebody else, that's outside motivation. Inside motivation is where you want to be. However, when you're a parent of a child who's going down that path, how do you get them to get that intrinsic motivation to get out of that situation? How do you get them to like wake up and see? How do you get out of there? Because you, they can't do it for you. Yeah, and I, uh, obviously that's your job that you've been involved with. So uh, I'll sum it up for Jim. Uh, talk about the drug war. Should uh, the United right. States be involved in the drug war? Is legalization of marijuana is at a gateway to these other things? And then 
you know, where did people get the motivation? Let's just start with the last one because this is yeah. this is what you've been involved in. Mm. What have you found to be most effective to get people to realize that they're going down the wrong path and get them on the right path? Well, I think a lot of times um, parents become enablers. They don't allow the kid to suffer the consequences of their use. Every time they mess up, they clean it up. And so how can you tell me I have a drug problem where I'm watching cable TV, I'm playing on my game all day, every time I get in trouble, you clean it up. Where's my problem? Mm -hmm. We have to stop being enablers. Too many parents are trying to be their children's friend Mm -hmm. instead of their parent. Mm -hmm. So I say to parents that stop enabling. Who's the parent? Okay, there are resources out here. For example, there's something called a three-party petition. You can court order that person into treatment. And if they leave, the sheriff will come and get them and bring them back. All you got to do is have three family members agree and sign, have documentation of this person's drug use causing problems. Is that, That's true for an adult. You, ha- you can force an adult into drug programs. Yes, you okay. can. And you can do it with your child. As well, and do they have to have been involved in criminal behavior? No, just life threatening. If the, if that person is doing things or have behaviors that is threatening his life and the life of the family, okay. then yeah, this is the issue. We need okay. to deal with it. Right. But we get caught up in oh my baby, if I put him out, he's going to do this, and oh I don't want him to be out there in the street and get killed. Well, he's smoking and shooting dope in the house. What do you think is going to happen? Right, yeah, right. It's going to come to you. The it's going to come, come to right. you. Right. So I think what, again, parents have to stand up. They have to stand up, and they have to put their foot down and stop being your child's friend. Right, and of course, this is for the children, but then there's adults that got problems. So who stands in for them? Same, family. Family. Yeah. Family, if you love that person do what it needs that needs to be done. Of course, the person is going to deny I got a problem. Yeah. I'm eating. I'm sleeping. I'm. <laughs> I got somewhere to go. Right. Yeah. You know where is my problem? Yeah. But again, if you love that person, then you find somebody and bring them in to do an intervention and say, "Listen, you got to go. Mm-hmm. You got to go to treatment. You got to get some help." And again, it's the three party petition you can do if you have documentation that this person is a danger to themselves. Mm-hmm. And others, because if he's out driving intoxicated, okay. that's danger to others as yeah. well. So, okay. But in my mind, I would see that as that's not obviously that's not that person's decision, right? No. You're pulling them in. So, but is that, does that really matter in that case? Because if they get sober and, and cleaned up, will they, is that where they sort of have this epiphany of like, holy crap, yeah, I did they can't do go it, back down that road? Did right. they do it for the people that intervene or did they do it for themselves? Right. Okay. Good, good. I'm glad you brought that up. It's all right for an external motivation because while you're in there, you may go inside right. and okay. become internally motivated. Yeah. But I got you in the door. Yeah. You got the opportunity. So the that, that can change over. For a lot of people that went in because their probation sent, officer sent them or their family made them go in there. But when they got in there, they realized something from hearing other people and their stories Something motivated. Not everybody, but I'm just saying yep. that is an opportunity for that person to go and start looking on the inside and really get motivated for staying sober yourself. Right? And and even if there isn't ever this epiphany, ever this internal motivation that happens, I'm sure it's important for the parents and the family members and the loved ones 
to at least try and pose an external motivation. Because yep. when that person dies, if they didn't try, they're going to blame themselves. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's better than nothing. Right? And then, that's then the, that's there the goes that trauma. Right. right. And then that person may go sure. right. and try to deal with that hurt. I should have. Yep. I say I, I say it like this. They start shooting all over themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should have. I should have. I should have. Yeah. I should have. But, you know, whether it's internal or external, I think the opportunity to get that person in treatment and saying that we did what we could in the in, yeah, and it becomes generational. You it know, becomes these generational. Uh, I'll get back to Jim's comment talking about the government. I'll take it uh, a different way here before we talk about, you know, say, drug war. I'm using maybe derisively. Uh, but maybe it's societal in the sense that the United States isn't alone in this problem. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're one of the major powers that have got a, a bigger issue with, uh, you know, uh, drug dependency and maybe it's just the way our society has been becoming disconnected you know either through the use of, of the phones either through the, uh, the breakdown of the family all those types of things maybe it was societal influences that led people to despair that led them to you know seek uh, opioids and things like that and what is the role in the government trying to ameliorate that when I think to some reason they caused it. But. Well, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. We know that. We know that little, uh, that where these drugs come from is definitely flown in from somewhere. Mm-hmm. But getting back to your question, um, we are in a chemical warfare. Mm-hmm. Warfare is warfare. Right. United States is always good to run over some company and try to help somebody else's life be better because yep. they're dealing with war. Yes, I think the government needs to make more money available for treatment services. Incarceration is not the answer. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not the answer, and that's where we've gone wrong. We've incarcerated. In jail, there's more drugs than on the street. Mm-hmm. There's no support systems in the jail that's going to support somebody that really wants to stay sober. And so I think that the government's role is to make sure that there's money available for treatment facilities, for education and these things that are needed to deal with this uh, drug on war situation. We are in a war. In war, people die. Mm -hmm. Innocent people die. Mm -hmm. Okay? Things are devastated. The costs of things go up in war because of, of whatever. But I'm saying, back to your question, yes, I think the government needs to focus on putting more resources, and if they just take a look in their family somewhere, they might find somebody that needs those resources. Yep. Because it's not prejudice; it doesn't care if your father's the president or a senator or whatever. So I think the government has a responsibility to save lives, just like they spend millions of dollars on cancer research. Addiction is a disease too. Mm-hmm. It's a disease, yeah. and it needs to be addressed as a disease. Yep. Well, what about, okay, so that's one aspect of it, of course, the, mm-hmm. the addiction. But then this other side of it is all this stuff, all this stuff we talked about, sorry, all this stuff we talked about with uh, the fentanyl stuff, where you can take one pill and you're dead, mm-hmm. right, because of this fentanyl lacing. And I think that, anyway, for, for this guy that I know, that's kind of his angle, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know if his son was an addict or not, or if mm-hmm. he just took something and it was late. I, I'm pretty sure it was a fentanyl thing. Exactly. But, uh, but uh, I'm not exactly sure what the whole story is. But that's kind of a, another aspect of the whole of this war, right? Mm-hmm. Is the you know 
dealing and supporting uh, the addicts themselves and getting them in treatment and that type of thing. And then also, you know, getting the drugs uh, off the streets. I don't know if that's yeah, even a possible yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, he's but, talking about these one-off yeah. circumstances where, yeah. where people can die. It's, I, I guess I would like to think that um, me as a teenager would think, oh, geez, there's this chance I got to take this one pill and die. And I would stay away from it. And right. you know, me and Jim have talked about how you know, we were a little bit resistant to peer pressure. And for those types of people where it's just, again, the girl in the dorm room or the guy in the dorm room that says, here, take this. It's it's Adderall. It's it's this. It's that. Mm -hmm. You don't know where that came from. No, you don't. You mm -hmm. don't know uh, if that guy knows where it came from. Exactly. And so... It's a new era of the drug war, as it is, as it you know, as we'll say it is, uh, because you know the 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 victims can be much more random than they used to be. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You're exactly right. Uh, if, if I could back up and just get back to what you said about getting the drugs off the street, uh, that kind of sounds like an impossible task. Right. Right. But I found that if you open up a business in my neighborhood, let's say it's a grocery store, mm -hmm. okay? You open it for business. If I don't buy anything from your store, what happens to your store? Shuts down, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we have to educate our families, our children, whoever, that if this is the way you deal with this, you don't have to do this to feel good. And a lot of times people feel like, I have to do this because I want to feel better. Mm -hmm. I want to feel good. I'm not feeling good, and I've learned that if I don't feel good, take something to make me feel better. But I was saying to him to get the drugs off the street, if I open up a grocery store mm -hmm. and you never buy groceries from me, sooner or later, I'm going to shut down. Yep. Yep. But we've got to get into that mindset, right? the mindset of, no, I'm not going to buy this. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, is, this could kill me. This could kill my family or my child. But that goes back to resources, education. Uh, as soon as the child is uh, old enough to understand, to start teaching them then. But then I, I meant to mention something earlier. The other part of addiction is some children are born addicted because mm -hmm. their parents used. Yeah. Right. And so yep. they have that addiction in them. Yeah. And so there's like, again, there's so many roads right. that, that leads. So, so your your idea is not to take away the product, take away the customer. That right. makes right. sense. Yeah. Right. It's supply and, and demand. Goes, yeah. And a lot of times... Governments deal with these things on the supply side, right? They go into Colombia and they try yeah. to kill a bunch of people. Right. Whereas the demand side is is on yeah. us, it's and on it's us. a lot mm -hmm. a lot more difficult to deal with. But ultimately, that's what it's going to come that's down what, to. That's yeah. a, and the government can't do that, right? Yeah, that's something we have to get in our mind that if we want this to truly go away, we got to take away the demand for it. Yeah, right? well, I, I hope that's the case, and I hope that. That your your family and our families, Jim and I have got kids that are teenagers here now, and they're going to yep. be encountering some of these situations. And my daughter's off at college, and I pray that, that she makes smart choices. I think that she will, but mm -hmm. it comes down to personal choice in the end, as exactly. so many things do. Well, Dwayne, I want to thank you for being on well, our thank podcast. You. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate Let me it. just say this before we end. Sure. A lot of times people don't try to access treatment because they may not have insurance, but there are places out there that will take you with no insurance and, and detox you and then uh, fix you up with ongoing services when you leave there excuse me, like long-term residential 
treatment where they can go and stay for three additional uh, months. Places like First Step Detox Center. Um, you've got American Telehealth out on Howell Avenue to deal with people that's dealing with mental health issues. You can go there and get services. So there are services out there for people with insurance and without. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's crisis hotlines. And there's right. crisis hotlines, right. Right. exactly. Yeah. And so I say like this, you know, when I was using drugs, if I wanted to get high, I found a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to stay sober, find a way. Yep. There you go. That's what it comes down to. Well, thanks again, Dwayne. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. Awesome. Just hoping that what we talked about tonight will help somebody. Absolutely. If it's only one. It's only one. Right. That's right. All right. right, Good night, Dwayne. Thanks again, Dwayne. Thank you. Join us next time for another brand new episode of the Bait and Switch Podcast. You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.